Thank you for tuning in to Carbondale Historical Society's podcast. This episode is part of our This I Remember audio archive. This archive are interviews conducted in the 1980s and 90s by Mary Ferguson, a longtime resident of Carbondale, born in Spring Gulch. These interviews aired on Katie and Kay and were recently donated to the Historical Society by Mary's descendants. The Historical Society wants to thank Katie and Kay, Seven Stars Rebecca Lodge Number 91, Alpine Bank and Meredith and Dan Bullock Ferguson's family, as well as the many other donors and volunteers who came together to save these tapes and make them forever available to our Carbondale community. Enjoy. This, I remember, Mary Ferguson, Katie and Kay. This is a live history interview. My interviews are first-hand, second-hand, or otherwise. Tonight will be an otherwise one. I have Bill Crimble as a guest. Bill was our elementary principal at one time, and he decided to do something else. He was certainly missed by the teachers, and all of the kids. Tonight, he's going to tell us uh, something about the something else that he has done. Bill, when did you become interested in your mountain man adventures? And uh, I heard your lecture at the libraries the other night, and I thought it was fantastic what you said, what you did, and all the things that you did show us. Tell us something about your experiences and how you got started doing this. Thanks, Mary. <clears throat> I began uh, reading about the mountain man and the ways of the mountain man as a kid, and I always followed through with that to some degree. Then in 1983, while recuperating from a back injury, I picked up a magazine that <clears throat> had stories of the mountain man and the modern day rendezvous. Began reading through it, and that regenerated my interests, my early interests as a young man in, in the mountain manning. So I, within the magazine, they had. Uh, catalogs and books that you could order. So I ordered some of the catalogs uh, that carried the mountain man materials that you could use or you could make and began reading some of the books. My interest really started there and, and from that point on I just became more and more involved in it. And you followed through and uh, really has, you have made it interesting for so many of us. Do you go to the schools with your lectures? Yes, I do. I've been uh, going to the schools here in the Roaring Fork Valley, presenting the ways of the mountain men. Generally here, instead of giving really a history lesson using dates and a lot of names of the mountain men of the Jim Bridger and the Kit Carson, I take with me the materials and the tools that the mountain man used and show these to the kids and actually try to set up a hands-on kind of talk where the kids can actually take these materials, the, the leggings, the traps that the mountain man used, 
the cooking ware that they used, the moccasins that they had, that we that I've restructured so that they will fit the patterns of those times, and let the kids actually look at these and see how they're made. They ask questions on the beadwork and how it's done. Uh, they'll ask questions about how you start fires, and try to keep keep them mostly on a hands-on thing so the kids can really see what these things are made of and how they're made. I have always been wondering how did they keep warm during the severe winters that they've had and when you told about some of the clothing that they wore and how they kept warm right in the middle of the coldest night, uh, that was interesting. The mountain man <coughs> had the advantage with, with trade through primarily England and France, and these countries brought in a lot of wool, woolen goods, primarily the Whitney and the Hudson Bay blanket, and this became a main clothing item for them. They would make a heavy winter coat from a blanket. This coat was called the capote, and also they would make woolen leggings that they would wear during the winter months. Uh, <coughs> They had their bedrolls consisted of generally two wool blankets of the Whitney or the Hudson Bay kind, and then they used what we call the pishamore. And the pishamore was really nothing more than a hair on hide, generally of buffalo, and it was a saddle blanket. And the saddle blanket wasn't used as we see it today in modern day uh, riding equipment it covered the outside of the saddle and draped out over the back end of the horse and down onto the sides of the horse. And they usually carried two of these pishmores with them along with their bedrolls. So during the winter months, they would lay out an pishmore on the ground, then their bedroll of woolen blankets and then cover themselves with the, an additional pishmore uh, and roll up in these by a fire and, and seem to stay quite warm. Uh, one of the fellows, Osborne uh, Russell, mentioned in there stay, staying out uh, during February in Montana, and he said that he stayed really quite comfortable during those cold nights. So that was their main warmth or the way that they used their material for warmth. One of my sons used to delight in going camping during the Christmas vacation. And I tell you, I worried till the day he came back, but he came back just as healthy and husky as can be. He enjoyed being out, and of course he spent some time in Greenland and Iceland, mm -hmm. and thoroughly enjoyed it. But I never did enjoy being cold mm -hmm. in any way. So, um, they, uh, I was interested in, uh, uh, when you explained the difference between wearing a wool shirt and a cotton shirt.
boot that we have today. But again, using the wool, even though your feet would become wet or quite damp, uh, the wool would help maintain and, and keep retain your body the heat. heat. So you, you were able to keep your feet. And I've worn these moccasins, and they will keep you quite warm. Not comfortable, but at least quite warm. Well, at least uh, they, they wouldn't get as wet as the leather boots that cowboys wear. Uh, possibly not. They, they would also, uh, I've read uh, some literature where they would use the tallow or the fats from the animal and rub those into the leathers to help prevent the moisture coming into the leather and soaking into it. So uh, they, they had their ways of maintaining the body heat from the <clears throat> in the moccasin, and it worked quite well. Uh, I don't think I agreed with, or in fact, I know I didn't like their menu. That's quite different from what we have today. But nevertheless, they were healthy and husky. They really were. What we've read of the, the American Indian, they were a very, very healthy uh, individual. Uh, probably because of the lack of preservatives in their foods, the high intake of sugars, and the eating of uh, very basic vegetable, and that of uh, wild game seems to have provided them with a very good diet that they thrived on very, very well. Interesting, the <clears throat> people leaving St. Louis and and coming into the West, some of the early mountain men, some of these people were uh, not of the best of health, but moving into the West and living out into a nice, clean environment and <clears throat> eating primarily wild game with some, some vegetable of, from the wild plants that they learned to eat from the Indians, these people found their health to greatly increase and become much, much better than living in the city life of those times. Well, we find that true today. There's so many preservatives. There's so many things on the, on the shelf. And you read what it says, but that isn't what your body reads after you've eaten whatever you bought. To, uh, so how did the... Um, Evidently, the mountain men got along well with the Indians. They they really did get along pretty well. They, uh, they had their differences. Uh, primarily, the, the big difference with mountain men came with the Blackfoot black Indian. And the main contention that arose there is the Blackfeet were a very, very intelligent people in that they saw the advantages of the trade of furs and they wanted to become a part of this and not have the mountain man come in and take full control of the trade industry. They wanted to be a large part of it, so they tried to keep the mountain man out of their fur-bearing areas that the tribes uh, controlled. And <clears throat> so there was the the bone of contention, so to speak, between the, the mountain man and the Indian. 
Also, there's the Christian the Christianity viewpoint of, of the mountain man, thou not, you shall not steal. And the, an Indian's way of life, part of it was the acquiring of horses. And the raids that were done were a part of their culture to obtain horses and other goods from various tribes. So when they would encounter the mountain men, their main point probably was to acquire horses. And this was uh, uh, a, a direct culture conflict. We uh, got a very nice letter from uh, some Indians that we have sent some materials through from the near new store. And uh, this letter, the, the thing that I um, thought of and I appreciated most was as the Indian doesn't thank you with his lips, he thanks you with his heart. Well, and uh, anyway, they were thanking us, not with their lips, but with their hearts. That's that's really great to hear. Uh, I have strong feeling for the American Indian, and I hope that sometime in the very near future, these peoples will become more recognized in our country and be given a greater opportunity to present to us so that we will have a better understanding of their cultures. Well, maybe there are, because they don't wear the feathers and things of that kind, we think there are few Indians, but there are a great number of Indians in our society. We have um, a couple of real Indians right here in our own group. I've had an interview with uh, uh, Jenny Patterson, who is an Indian, and um, Mrs. Black is an Indian. Uh, I've been looking, I've been trying to uh, document, I've been trying to find out more about the hoax that the Utes supposedly put on the Crystal River Valley. And in looking over in the past years, the towns that have prospered and died down, started up again, the mines that have quit and started up again, and all of the things up and down the Crystal River Valley. And have you uh, found anything that, whether it's myth or legend or fact or fancy? No, I haven't. I, I have heard of this hoax, or the curse, so to speak, that yes. has been put on the valley. Uh, supposedly by the Ute Indian as they were being driven out of the area by the white man. And I would really like to, to uh, know more about this and the, the truth of it because it, it would be really, really interesting to, to have that information so that we can compare what has happened in the past to, to the various communities and, and the industries that have taken place here in the Well, as, as you go back over the valley, marble, crystal, redstone, pasita, coal basin, all of those places have had their ups and their downs, and uh, people who have great expectations 
prosper pretty soon they're on the other end of the stick again and I have wondered just how uh, how much truth there is in it it, so. <coughs> it would really make you wonder <laughs> when you stop and look mm -hmm. at it from that point of view of, of what's happened here and there may be more truth in it than we really know <laughs> it's uh, as I say when you when you see what has happened up and down the valley, you do wonder what has happened. This was Ute country first, and we took it away from them. That's so. true. This <clears throat> this was all Ute country. They're over into the South Park area on the other side of the divide, and slowly the white man would set a treaty in the reservation area and as needs of the white man came about, they would take more and more of their lands, and now we have the Ute peoples actually divided into two separate groups now. We haven't, to, I don't think we have treated them fairly, and uh, who am I? But uh, what other, interesting facts have you found in our studies and research of the mountain man? Uh, I think one thing that I found really interesting of the mountain man is that he was a wanderer oh. and he, it wasn't uncommon for him to uh, travel 25 miles in one direction one day, reverse that pattern and go 15, 20 miles completely in the opposite direction, again reverses direction, and they turn, if he was traveling to the north, he might turn and travel to the east, and he, he had a high sense of curiosity, seems to me, because he would just check out each and every little valley and dale that he came to. Uh, I'm sure looking for the beaver, but also I think just out of a sheer sense of curiosity to what's there, kind of the I want to see what's on the other side of the hill syndrome and they really really moved about in kind of a sporadic pattern and way of going. Something else that I found interesting was Jedediah Smith and his travels. He apparently was traveling a lot under the auspice of trying to find greater grounds of beaver to be trapped, but there's more and more evidence coming out that he may have been working for the United States government in trying to determine the strength that Spain had in the southwest part of the United States, the strength that Spain had in Southern California, and also the strength that Russia had coming down the coast, the Pacific coast out of Alaska and down through as to how much control they may be developing along the west coast. And he made three different trips uh, from Salt Lake down through uh, the Virgin and <clears throat> the Seaver Rivers to the Colorado River, crossing the San Bernardino Mountains, and then going over into California and then traveling clear into Fort Vancouver to the north, and then coming back across into the Salt Lake uh, Bear Lake area. 
You've been listening to Bill Crimble talking about the Mountain Man on KDNK, this I Remember program, Mary Ferguson. And do we have my theme song now? Well, let's see if it's all right. (laughs) Thank you for listening to another fantastic installment of This I Remember by Mary Ferguson. For the full archive of all of the episodes, please visit CarbondaleHistory.org. If you would like to be able to search through the entire transcription library of all of her episodes, please email info at CarbondaleHistory.org. Thanks so much. Stay tuned. Subscribe.